Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 111 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the panoramic episode of the SLS cast. And I'm not talking about a Ronco product. No, I am talking about Uncle John's panoramic bathroom reader. Yes, it is the 27th edition of this amazing book. And on page 111, you will find the following amazing information. If you have metal fillings, chewing aluminum foil can generate up to two volts of electric current. And with that bit of shocking news, I, of course, am Matt. So, I guess just don't chew aluminum foil? Especially if you have fillings. So, I mean, is that like, so th- is that the main reason why you're not supposed to? Because you might get shocked? Well, that, I mean, it's, I don't know. I can't think of any reason why someone would want to do that. That just, it, it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard in your mouth, and it's like with electric current. I don't. You know. Yeah, so like the fillings won't come out because of it. I mean, your feeling, your fillings might kill you. Not your feelings, <laughs> but your fillings. <laughs> I guess so. My feelings will kill me. Yes, oh. I was feeled to death. <laughs> Sounds like a like a song, you know, like a Atlantis Morissette song. Atlantis? At, did like, I say she Atlantis? Was an undiscovered, she was an undiscovered continent. She know, is, Well, technically Atlantic she Ocean. still could be right now. This is true. Have heard nothing from her in a while. <laughs> yeah. But yes. And I am Tim, by the way, who works at Sony. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just gotta throw That's that tough. in there. I thought I, I was gonna be more nonchalant this time with that. <laughs> okay. How was your Martin Luther King Day? Since today is MLK Day, and no, well, my uh, Robert E. Lee Day was um, very productive in terms of not. Yeah, apparently in Arkansas, they celebrate the shared birthdays of <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert E. Lee. Apparently, they have the shared birthday, and um, it, it's observed. I, I don't know. <laughs> So do they celebrate one more than the other? Now that I don't know. But um, like we are here yeah. to honor Robert E. Lee and Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, yeah. Just so they say it real fast. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin, I, okay. Honestly, I don't know. But I did think it was pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> and this that... milk guy. <laughs> Wait, I thought he was some guy in San Francisco. No, that's the wrong milk. Um I, I, yeah, I honestly, I had no idea. I mean, as big a fan of I am of history and knowing these kinds of oddball things, I really did not know that Robert E. Lee and Martin Luther King Jr. shared a birthday, much less that it was formally observed anywhere as such. So that's kind of you know, go Arkansas. That's all. I mean, you know, maybe it should be go away Arkansas. I don't, maybe we can do that instead. Though. Sounds about right. And we can yeah. say it on this show, because I'm pretty sure nobody in Arkansas listens to the show. 
Well, my... Uh, do you have family in Arkansas? I do, actually. Really? I have quite a bit. Of- <laughs> quite a bit? Well, that explains a lot. No, uh, it, it's step, for whatever it's worth. Um, my uh, stepbrother, uh, who's in the Coast Guard, is from there. Uh, he doesn't live there now, though, because, you know, there's really no coast in Arkansas. Um and then I do, however, have a stepbrother and a stepsister and then the nephews and stuff, but uh, nephews and nieces that come along with that. And they're all there. And uh, the stepbrother and stepsister, their mother is there, um, and all that extended family and everything is from Arkansas. But I personally think Arkansas should always stay because anything that makes Texas look good by comparison, I am fine with. So, so I, I didn't hear you earlier. Did you say that they do listen to the show? Uh, well, my brother who lives, in, who the, my brother in the Coast Guard yeah. does listen to the show. Okay, well he's in the Coast Guard, so that doesn't count. Right, they kind of like crosses stuff out. Although he he is, from what I understand, uh, he'll be transferring in a few months. Uh, his new assignment, which I was hoping was going to be for Houston, because of the port of Houston, and then of course Galveston and all that good stuff. Hence coast, right? Um, I thought he was coming here, but it turns out he's going to be a recruiter in Dallas. Oh, that's not too far away for you. Well, no, it's not, but I I think that's kind of, I mean, I guess you got to recruit. I mean, you got to get people to go see the coast that they need to guard. So I guess that kind of makes sense, but, um, I just kind of think it's weird to have coast guard where there's no coast. Um, (laughs) We're going to take the edge of this here lake, and we're going to pretend it's a coast. <laughs> so, son, you're interested in joining the Coast Guard. Well, you're going to have to go through our recruitment office in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. I it's mean, about well, we, 400 well, miles inland. This here is inland. the practice facility. <laughs> we, <laughs> we practice first on the edge of a pool, and then, for field training, we send you out to a lake yeah, in know. Texas. Uh, so, uh, You had fun at the uh, Science Museum today with your kids? Uh, I, ironically, we did not go after all of the planning and everything. Um, my wife and I and the kids, we stayed up too late last night and then we slept in by the time we got up and going, it was too late to head down there. So, well, you know what that is, sir? That is bad parenting. It is bad. So instead, sorry, kids, um, we're going to, we're going to deprive you of a scientific education and have you stay up late and have fun. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> so instead, we goofed around the house. Did shots. Uh, the wife took the kids out on a couple errands, and then we all went out to dinner and had that kind of stuff. And we came home and did the Disney Infinity thing for a while, and mm-hmm. then the kids went to bed. Yeah. On time, though. So that's good. So I've been trying to look for a couch. That's been the girlfriend of mine's uh, goal for the past couple weeks, looking for a couch. And I gotta say, looking for a couch is goddamn near impossible. Especially out here. Because they don't have them at a store? Well, they do, but it's it's trying to find the right couch. You know, they're either too firm, too soft. And I realize going to the, the mall, to the Macy's here in uh, the uh, Beverly Hills, just a lot of the various stores around town, you notice that the modern style of furniture... Modern as in, like, the 60s, 50s, 60s retro, 70s retro, is coming back in. Which means everybody's going to have very uncomfortable furniture if everyone decides to go back into that modern sure. swing and of things. 
then they'll also be in wonderful colors such as puke green or vomit red. And if you're lucky, they'll have like a floral print on them. I've been encountering <laughs> those with a big giant button in the middle of the seat. So it's big enough to where your 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 butt cheeks spread apart and you have that button in the seat protruding your anus. That's that's a special kind of button. Well, I thought of you when it happened. As well you should. But then <laughs> But uh but to quickly change the subject about about couches uh, because I love couches, anal probing couches. I, yeah, espe- well. yeah, especially home goods probing couches. Uh, because nothing says a, a a lovely couch probe like home goods furniture. Well, there is one thing I wanted to mention really quick, and I know we're past the mark of heading to the news, but it's something worth mentioning because I know you and I both have been annoyed with Discovery Channel and the airing of the really shitty shows like the history of the Megalodon Megla uh, Megalodon shark. Megalomania Don pretty much yes <laughs> uh, and it's obviously fake but they're trying to pass it off as if oh man this this is real really it's not then you have that stupid mermaid show uh, actually no that might have been on animal animal planet but uh, I'm sure Discovery it's Channel It's all under has Discovery something. Network banner. Yeah, yeah, it's all the same shit. And then, sure, you know, sure. recently you had Man Eaten Alive by Anaconda where the man was not <laughs> eaten alive. His 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 arm just got nibbled on, got gummed. He was gummed. He should, it should have been called Man Gummed Alive by An- in Anaconda. But it turns out the uh, president of Discovery Channel got fired and he's been replaced by Rick Ross. Not Rick Ross, Rich Ross. <laughs> Pardon me. Rich Ross is the new president of Discovery Channel. And this is uh, courtesy of Entertainment Weekly, but I'm reading this off of io9.com. And it says this, In what is unequivocally good news, Ross announced that Discovery would no longer air this kind of nonsense, at least on his watch, as he told the Television Critics Association's semi-annual press tour yesterday, quote, I don't think it's actually right for Discovery, And it's a type of programming that I think in some ways has run its course. They've done very well, many of them, but it's not something that's right for us. If something that has been previously ordered, is, uh, it's still probably coming. But I'm telling you where I am and how I feel moving forward. And he goes on to say about the Eaten Alive stunt that it was the right intention with a packaging that was misleading. And he hopes to... Uh, steer away from that and actually stick with the truth. So uh, he is basically declaring, according to io9 here, his no more bullshit policy. I am actually excited about that. To me, that is the that is the best news I have heard all week. Well, now I suppose when they really uh, when when they when they say that the, that a man's going to be eaten by an anaconda, I think they're really going to have him be eaten by an anaconda and not come out. That's fine. He takes the, he takes the form of the anaconda, so he lives his entire life within the anaconda, wearing in a an, a, a, a live anaconda suit. Now that would be a program I would watch. That would be an excellent reality TV show. Anaconda Man. 
So, all right. Well, then, let's go ahead and just before we jump into the real news, let me go ahead and uh, read you some of our fantastic emails that we've received over the last week. Uh, let's see here. Open her up, and it says, There are no items to show in this view. So, without further ado, here it is. The news! That's right. The news. The news as it stands today, since we have no one who wants to talk to us via email. First up for me, from comicbookmovie.com, courtesy of Nailbiter111, James Cameron says Avatar 2 delayed until late 2017. The sequel to the highest grossing film of all time, James Cameron's 2009 science fiction film Avatar, will be delayed. It was supposed to be released in late 2016, but it will now land in theaters late 2017. It was, he was basically talking in a, uh, this was in New Zealand. He was promoting an event, uh, for local film industry, along with who else? Peter Jackson. He revealed that his original plan to have Avatar 2 in theaters by late 2016 was too ambitious, so he decided to push its release date to 2017. The reason? Cameron chose to be aggressive, writing all of the scripts for the three planned Avatar sequels at the same time. Quote, We're writing three simultaneously, and we've done that so that everything tracks throughout the three films. We're not just doing one and then make up another one and another one after that. And parallel with that, we're doing all the designs. So we've designed all the creatures and the environments end quote um i personally don't care um i guess it's good for disney because they get another year to really tie everything in to the uh new avatar land that's coming for animal kingdom but um and i think it's cool that you'll get this whole mythic thing that works into the fabric of animal kingdom in terms of the mythic side of that as well as the conservation efforts and stuff that animal kingdom does so that's going to be a nice tie-in for disney when that happens but aside from that um yeah i don't know that anybody i don't know of anyone who is excited at all for a three-peat of avatar Tim, do you wish to yes. see any more Avatar movies? I I do actually. Uh, oh look, there's one person. Yay! He I mean, there's a, there are people out there. I mean, the movie didn't just gross. It's not the highest grossing movie. You know, I mean, it didn't do that on its own. People actually went and saw the movie, and then saw it again, and saw it again, and then drug other people to go see it, and so. I think there is a demand for it, and I know how passionate he is, Cameron, and and you are too, I'm sure, after reading that book about him, how passionate he is about his movies and about taking the next step in uh, in, in movie technology and special effects and, and reinventing the way we watch movies and the way we, uh, we show movies, and it's just very interesting to me, and I, I kind of, I'm excited. Yes, I do hope... They're good, and I do hope the stories are better. But I'm uh, I'm just counting on the first Avatar being 
you know, that's kind of like, oh, here, here's my base love story type of movie, and we'll move on from there. I, I, and that's, I mean, that's all well and good. The problem with, for me, with Avatar is that it's all, it's all flash in the pan. It's not quite smoke and mirrors, per se, but while I think everyone is is definitely genuinely interested in the technological aspects and the special effects aspect of any proposed sequels or, or the technology itself and how it's driving, you know, digital cinema and blue screen and green screen technologies and everything and CGI. All those things are very valid points from a technical perspective. Um, as it was when um, Titanic came out back in well, 97 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and all of the Academy Awards that Titanic won were technical awards, aside from Best Picture, which I think that was just enough money thrown at it. Um, and the same was true with Avatar. All of the awards that it won, Academy Awards it won, were technical awards. Um, and, and there is no denying the, techni- the technical genius. I mean, Cameron uh, developed all the technology uh, for Avatar, he had originally had a script for Avatar, you know, ten years before it could even remotely begin production because there was no way to do the movie. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't make it that doesn't make the movie amazing, right? That doesn't make the story great. That doesn't make the uh, fact that it was a blatant copy of Pocahontas, depending on how you want to look at it, sure. or yeah, uh, you know, Dances with Wolves and Fern Gully put together. All so I think that's where the the lack of interest comes from. People want to see the pretty lights and the special effects. Absolutely, I'm one of them. I was definitely wowed by seeing that movie. In the theater, in IMAX 3D, especially at the end of the film. Guys, it's been out for six years, so fuck the spoiler. You should have seen it by now. And at the very end of the movie where they're bringing Jake or whatever the hell his name is back to life, the way we were positioned in the theater um, literally looked like we were sitting among all of the people who were like doing, you know, doing all the chant stuff and everything right as they were panning over there and they're coming through to, towards the tree and all that stuff at the very end of the movie to bring it back. To, and I was like, holy crap, I got chills like watching that. So again, that part of it's really cool, but you know, I've never seen the movie again and I have no desire to see the movie again. So. I don't know. Yeah, it's def- It's one of those movies where, I mean, I agree, from somebody that really, really liked the movie, it, it's one of those where the story is blah, but it does have enough, at least in my opinion, it had enough technical pizzazz, and it had enough uh, great, you know, amazing talent behind the camera to pull the weight of the movie. And, yeah, I mean, of course, the movie is not perfect, it's not, you know, the best movie ever made, but... I'm just trying to justify why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, and, again, and I will say the same thing. I, I said the same thing about Titanic. When Titanic was out, um, people were always pe- the people who were dogging the movie. And I would tell them, look, I mean, you can you can dog the length of the movie all you want. Do you really need a three hour movie about the Titanic? Well, in truth, you do, because the Titanic took like almost two hours to sink. And so the back nine of that movie is like an hour and 20 minutes of the of the ship sinking and i'm like that's amazing you know those are so 
yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, we, we know what we shall see. So, at any rate, what do you got, sir? All right, guys, the Oscar nominees are in, and it's quite surprising this year. I mean, there are so many great movies that have come out, and I've, yeah, uh, and and it and and it was just interesting. And there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uproar about the nominees. But before I get into the nominations themselves. I don't know if, if uh, anybody has uh, heard heard about this yet, and I know uh, I told Matt about this during the pre-show, but during the announcement, and they do the announcements here in L.A. like at 5.30 in the morning. I mean, super early in the morning here. And you have people going up, and I think it was one of the chairman, or a chairman or president or something, uh, reading out who was all nominated. It was for the Best Cinematographer category, and it was for the movie Mr. Turner, and the guy's name, who was the cinematographer, is Dick Pope. But the woman called him Dick Poop. Yes, Dick Poop is nominated for Best Cinematography for the wonderful UK film, Mr. Turner. So look out for Dick Poop in a theater near you. So at the, uh, the Oscars, Best Picture nominated are American Sniper, The Imitation Game, Birdman, Selma, Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Whiplash, The Theory of Everything, Amer- uh, Actor, in a Leading Role, Steve Carell, Foxcatcher, Bradley Cooper, American Sniper, Benedict Cumberbatch, The Imitation Game, Michael Keaton, Birdman, Eddie Redmayne, The Theory of Everything, Actress in a Leading Role, Marion Cotillard, Two Days, One Night, Felicity Jones, The Theory of Everything, Rosemond Pike, Gone Girl, Reese Witherspoon, Wild, Julian Moore, Still Alice. Uh, real quick, I was actually surprised about Rosemond Pike being nominated uh, for Gone Girl. And it's uh, kind of the same thing with um, uh, Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. She was actually surprised that she was nominated because, uh, well, for one thing, she w- people were speculating that she was going to be nominated for either that movie or uh or or the movie um oh crap it was the movie that we watched with Jeremy Renner her Jeremy Renner and Joaquin Phoenix where she plays the immigrant uh, the immigrant right oh yeah, it was immigrant. called the immigrant yeah oh well there you go uh yeah and uh she and people like were saying well if these 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 and they name off 15 20 people if those people don't get nominated then Marion Cotillard will be nominated. But no, she is the first one on here, which is kind of uh, pretty cool. Actor in a supporting role. Rob Duvall, The Judge. Ethan Hawke, Boyhood. Mar- uh, Mark Ruffalo, Foxcatcher. J.K. Simmons, Whiplash. Edward Norton, Birdman. Actress in a supporting role. Patricia Arquette, Boyhood. Emma Stone, Birdman. Meryl Streep, Into the Woods. Laura Dern, Wild. Kieran Knightley, The Imitation Game. Uh, Laura Dern, super excited for her to get uh, to be in uh, uh, to be nominated because whenever I was watching Wild, uh, her name didn't really come up in people's speculation articles, and I I was impressed by her. Uh, she played a wonderful uh, character, and uh, I love seeing 
that it makes me happy to see that she was nominated. Meryl Streep, on the other hand, there are definitely other actresses that should be included on this list. For example, Naomi Watts. Now, Naomi Watts was in two movies uh, this year. Uh, St. Vincent, which she played the prostitute, the Russian prostitute. She didn't really deserve a nomination for that. But the one movie she did deserve a nomination for was Birdman. I thought she was actually pretty good in that movie. Uh, I thought she played a better character than Meryl Streep did in Into the Woods. But, yeah. Uh, animated feature film, Big Hero 6, The Box Trolls, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Song of the Sea, and The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Uh, to be honest, I would have loved to have seen Claudia with a Chance of Meatballs 2 on here. Then you have Cinematography, Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, you have Ida, Mr. Turner with Dick Poop, Unbroken. Costume Design, Grand Budapest, and Heron Vice, Into the Woods, Maleficent, Mr. Turner, and... Uh, finally, what I will mention, I'll stop after this, but with directing, we have uh, Alejandro G. Inaritu for Birdman, Richard Linkletter for Boyhood, Bennett Miller, Foxcatcher, Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Morton Tildum for The Invitation Game. And yeah, those are your nominees. But I will close out this piece of news by saying that the movie Selma is a wonderful film. Uh, we haven't reviewed it yet, but I had the chance to go see it last month, and it's a really, really good movie. A really, It's a well-made movie because it's not directed towards a particular uh, group of people. It's everybody you know, watching the movie can learn from, uh, from MLK. And the actor who portrayed him, to me, deserved a nomination for Best Actor. Really good played the character right, and it would have added a little bit of diversity to the list of nominees. Should be uh, an interesting end result here at the end of February. All right, so next up from comicbook.com, courtesy of Jay Jason. X-Men Apocalypse, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen won't be back. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Stewart was recently interviewed by Larry King. During their conversation, King asked Patrick Stewart if he'll appear in Brian Singer's X-Men Apocalypse. Stewart replied, quote, no, nor Sir Ian McKellen either, end quote. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Singer was looking for younger actors to play Cyclops Storm and Jean Grey because much of the film supposedly takes place in the 80s. Uh, but I don't think personally, and neither does Mr. Jason, uh, I don't think there was any doubt that anyone figured Singer would exclude Stewart's Professor Xavier and McKellen's Magneto. The pair have appeared in every X-Men film 20th Century has produced, except for Matthew Vaughn's X-Men First Class. Uh, finally, quote, I was learning quite a bit, quite a lot more about it, and it is going to be looking very much at the earlier lives of our characters, and so I don't think we'll be making an appearance, end quote. Um, quite frankly, they shouldn't have been in the last movie, so I'm really glad that they're not going to be in this movie. But that's just me, because sneak peek at uh, next week's bonus segment. I didn't like the last X-Men movie very much. So, um, yeah. What else you got there, Tim? The Sony hack. When that happened... Uh, reports came out that Sony and Marvel were in negotiations, or trying to negotiate, the property of Spider-Man. Marvel really wanted Spider-Man 
to appear in Captain America Civil War. And that, that fell through for the same reasons why Spider-Man hasn't shown up in any Marvel movie yet. However, according to latinoreview.com here, it turns out that they requ- uh, acquired some information in regards to Spider-Man appearing in the Avengers Infinity War Part 1 and possibly a in credits a post credit uh, scene uh, in the Thor movie either in the Thor movie or Captain America probably Captain America Civil War does that is that true I don't know uh, but I will say that latinoreview.com has proved to be a reliable source I don't know why, but it has been proved to be a reliable source for all things Marvel and all things Batman-related. So, uh, yeah, that is kind of interesting, and we will see. You can go to this article here at latinoreview.com, and it's entitled Marvelous Days, but it's like it's spelled D-A-7-E-78, The Fates of Cap, Thor, and Spidey. And they go on, and there's a lot of spoilers in this article they ruin. Uh, they they go into they go in depth uh, as to what happens in Thor Ragnarok, which is the upcoming Thor movie, and uh, what happens in Captain America, what happens in uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. So there are spoilers throughout. Be cautious when you when you read it. What do you think, Matt? Do you think uh, this is something to be excited about, or is this one of those? Eh, don't get your hopes up. It's probably not going to happen. Um. Uh, I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic uh, without spoiling anything for anyone who likes to remain surprised by movie plot lines and stuff, especially things you're looking forward to, like myself. Um, In the comic books, Spider-Man is infinitely important in this arc. So to not have him would kind of like be doing, say, I don't know, how about a Starsky and Hutch movie and just call it Hutch? You're literally missing like half the movie. So uh, I, I am hopeful that this is true, but because of, I know you and I have had private conversations, Sony owns Spider-Man. So it's really kind of whether or not Disney and Sony can come to some kind of special arrangement so and that depending on who you talk to is not going to happen but i'm willing to remain cautiously optimistic yeah it'll be fun it'll be it'll be nice to see you know the the completed story uh of, of what they're trying to go go for i have no idea what's going on so i didn't re or i don't i'm not familiar with the story of the infinity war or most marvel <laughs> marvel storylines so i didn't read the spoilers so i don't know if they check out or not right on right on okay so last up from me from globalnews.ca courtesy of john r kennedy ryan reynolds to shoot deadpool in hometown vancouver that's right ladies and gentlemen ryan reynolds is coming home the 38 year old actor is set to shoot the x-men spin-off deadpool in his hometown of vancouver beginning in late march reynolds will reprise his role as wade wilson slash deadpool from 2009's x-men origins wolverine for the movie 
which has booked two months at North Shore Studios. No other casting information has been announced. And Deadpool, directed by Tim Miller, is scheduled for release in February 2016. Now, on a personal note, this is how you get a movie done. Blizzard Entertainment, who can't get the World of Warcraft movie done after ten fucking years. Just saying. All right. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. There, well, Tim. they, they have already started working on the World of Warcraft movie. The World of Warcraft movie was supposed to have been done back in 2006, 2008, 2012. Filmed, it actually did film last year, and was supposed to be out sometime before. So it was supposed to come out like February, mm-hmm. and is now currently slated for either the end of this year or sometime spring of 2016. So, so that probably means the movie will not be good. I am guaranteeing you that this movie is going to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go see it because I'm a big Warcraft freak anyway. Yeah. But um, and David Bowie's son uh, directed it, so it should be pretty. I mean, I'm excited for it because he did Moon and The Source Code. He's a damn good director. And so. as we find out later, courtesy of David Mann, they can't all be winners now, can they? <sighs> no, but uh, no, no. <laughs> but he's young. <laughs> but I mean, seriously though, I mean. Deadpool movie was in development hell. Okay? And it was in development hell for like four years, and then they eventually scrapped it. Then you get a leaked VX uh, VFX test um, in October, and then the movie is filming in March. I mean, that's how you get shit done. I mean, you know, so... Uh, you know, And it's going to be out next year. It's going to be out literally, uh, you know, a year from now. So, not ten years, not eight years... Not, well, you know, we just got to get it right. Not soon, trademark. TM and copyright, all it's reserved. But at any rate, yeah. So bring us home there, Tim. I'm sure you have uh, something else to close out the news. All right, so my last piece of news will not be me talking about the Razzie Awards, which features everyone from Kirk Cameron to Transformers Age of Ultron, or Age of Extinction, or Age of whatever. (laughs) Uh, and everybody else that you you expect to be on the list of the worst flicks that came out last year. Uh, No, I will not be talking about that, nor will I be talking about Fifty Shades of Grey being Fandango's number one R-rated selling movie ever. Yes, it sold that many tickets to take over Fandango, uh, which I'm sure Matt is really looking forward to going to see Fifty Shades of Grey, because I know he bought at least 80 of those tickets. Uh, and no, my news will not be about Beetlejuice 2 possibly being shot at the end of this year or at the start of next year. No, it's not that. My news is about Queen Kong. Yes, Queen Kong. No, not a drag queen named Kong. But back in the 70s, 1976, a British comedy film spoofing King Kong was supposed to be released. And uh, it never did get released because the producer, Dino De Laurentiis, who was the producer of the 1976 King Kong remake, uh, pretty much uh, took legal action against them and uh, got the movie canceled or got the movie canned for pretty much ever. You can actually find it online now. It's about 87 minutes long. It's from the UK. It stars Robin Asquith. Rula Linska, Valerie Leon, Linda Hayden, and it's directed by Frank Agrama. All those names probably won't mean anything to 
you. Uh, so on uh, io9, I t- I've been talking about that website a lot lately. Great website, and I found out about this film on here, and this article, The Gender Swapped Queen Kong, is basically the most ridiculous movie. That's the name of the article, written by Charlie Jane Anders. And there's a series of clips that you can find on YouTube from this movie, but this is a little blurb about the movie. Ray Fay gets dressed up in a pink boa and shiny pants and fed to Queen Kong, who falls in love with him. Then the giant ape fights a T-Rex for the man she loves. In this completely bonkers clip, which is featured above this article, from the movie Queen Kong, the best bit is where he teaches Queen Kong how to kick a dinosaur in the nuts. In 1976's Queen Kong, an unscrupulous movie producer played by a camptastic Rula Lenska decides to sail to Africa and make a movie on her boat, The Liberated Lady. You know what kind of movie you're in for when there's a whole musical number about the good ship Liberated Lady and how much the ladies like to be liberated these days early on in the film. The only trouble is, she needs a leading man for her movies, so she and her all-female crew kidnap the allegedly hunky young Ray Fay, drugging him and putting him in a sack until they get to Africa, where they encounter a handful of very ill-advised racist caricatures. And then they meet the mostly white bikini-wearing ladies who worship Queen Kong, who immediately decide they want to hand over Ray Fay to the Beast. In the end, Queen Kong gets taken back to London where the Queen comes to see her, and then she breaks free and rampages across London, smashing things and grabbing quaint red phone boxes. It all ends up with Ray Fay and Queen Kong on top of Big Ben, where Ray Fay delivers a speech that must be seen to believe. Explaining to the people of Britain that Queen Kong represents all, dr- all downtrodden women everywhere, and that the cause of women's liberation demands that the giant ape be set free. End all quotes. Doesn't that just make you want to go out and fight for women's rights and more importantly, giant boobalicious ape creatures? It is an accurate portrayal, however, of the 70s, because Queen Kong is very hairy. (laughs) And there's a nice fro there, too. Well, now, that is something else. That's what that is. That is something else. All right, well, that's going to go ahead and conclude the news for us and bring us to... Three So, this time on Three Squared, we are doing, our, in honor of the passing of Taylor Negron, we are doing our th- picks for our three favorite roles by Mr. Negron. So, I'm going to go ahead and lead off here. My three are in, if I remember correctly, yes, they are in reverse chronological order. Now, Taylor Negron has definitely had a, he had a very, very uh, eclectic career, very busy. If you go to IMDb, he had, uh, I want to say, about 128 acting credits. Uh, but you'll find that a lot of that is television. So, um, 
in choosing the movie roles that I wanted to go with, I was um, not wanting to go with the with some of the things that Tim had uh, referred to in the obituary that he had referred to last week. So mine are minor, very minor roles that he has done, but very good roles nonetheless. First up for me is from Chairman of the Board. Uh, this is from 1998, and this is the ridiculously stupid and failed comedic uh, acting debut of Carrot Top. Now, this movie is just terrible. By all accounts, terrible. I remember seeing this when this movie initially had came out on video, I guess, or maybe by the time it hit HBO or something. So it was like 22, 23, and I definitely wanted my hour and a half of my life back. That being said, there's a small role um, where Taylor is playing the henchman of the bad guy, uh, played by Larry Miller. Now, and, and Larry Miller is an exceptionally funny comedian, and quite frankly, the only guy who really gets any truly funny lines in this movie. So he plays kind of a henchman of the bad guy, and it's a small role, but it is a memorable role, and the, the sarcasm is there, that complete lack of empathy for anything, the, those kind of deadpan eyes that he can get. And, of course, he does the over-the-top yelling as well, kind of like where he does that cool little shifting gears thing uh, that he was famous for in quite a few of his roles. So I am, uh, I, I do like this role. It's a small role, but I do like it, and I wanted to make sure and include it. Kind of like a hidden gem in a pile of shit. So, for whatever that's worth. Alright, moving along. Uh, this one coming to us from 1996. It's the stoner comedy Biodome. Yes, now he has a very... Virtually it's a bit part in this movie. He plays Russell. And he is trying to basically... Uh, have sex with Joey Lauren Adams. Now, she is the girlfriend. I can't remember if she's the girlfriend of Bud or Doyle. Um, that's Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin, respectively. And, uh, they, and so he has this line. He's basically just trying to, um, sleep with her and everything but i mean he's got this great line all around the word hump and it's just literally how he says the word hump you will laugh your ass off you can find it on youtube please check it out it's a small scene but it's amazing it's so funny um and again one of the bright spots in an otherwise kind of dull movie uh that did okay for what it was at its time at any rate uh, last but not least, coming to us from 1994, Angels in the Outfield. Now, he plays David Mont Montagne, um, and he's kind of like a publicist for the Angels, or he's an assistant to the owner of the Angels, I can't quite remember which, but he's got a, quite a few um, moments throughout the film, and he's a, he's, it's a minor role, but it's a, it, it is a full role that he has, and... Um, it's just really fun to see him. It, he's both in control and neurotic at the same time. It was It's like watching a polarized character come together all at the same time. And it's cute. It's funny. Um, it, it's a good role for him and the style of acting that he did and, and his style of funny and shows a bit of range for him. Um, so 
I liked them, and I enjoyed those roles, all of them, the small, the bit, and the actual played-out, fleshed-out role. And again, those are Chairman of the Board from 1998. He plays Mr. Withemeyer. From Biodome in 1996, he plays Russell. And finally, Angels in the Outfield, David Montagne. And that's it for me. Tim, what do you got, sir? You know, I'm actually surprised we didn't have any of the same picks. But I'll start with the earlier films and going to his later films. However, there's really only a six-year difference between these three. The first one is the John, John, one of John Cusack's earlier films from 1985, Better Off Dead. Yes, where he plays <laughs> the carefree mailman. And what really got me was that there was a time where I thought mailmen were out to ruin everybody's lives. And watching this movie proved that as a kid, I was right. Because I watched Taylor Negron walk down the street carrying a satchel full of mail and watched the mail just, like, fall off. And, fall, you know, or he's, like, going through the mail looking at it and he's, like, half-facedly throwing it back into a satchel and it falls out of the satchel. And he's just walking around listening to his headphones. But what gets me is when he actually talks, he speaks. And so he has this little 10-second, you know, shot of him walking, gets to the house, knocks on it, again, still wearing the headphones, and John Cusack's uh, brother, who's the goofy, sex-crazed kid, young brother of the film, opens the door, and he's delivering a package, the mailman is, and he says, Hi, Badger. Your book on how to pick up trashy women came today. Tell me something. What's a little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this? Hi, Lane. I was just wondering. I mean, I know that we don't even know each other, but I know that you were going out with that girl, Beth, and I can see that you're not going out with her anymore, and I was wondering if perhaps I could just be with her I just kind of liked the line delivery of it. I thought it was funny. I thought he, to me, he was a guy that there was a reason why we re why we all remember him in these movies. And during the pre-show, I was reminded of Vincent Schiavalli. He was another one of these character actors who uh, sadly passed away back in 2005. But he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he was in Batman Returns, he was in uh, the Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, but one movie that I will always remember him for, or what will make me think of when I think of him, is the movie Ghost, where he played the angry, asshole, arrogant ghost in the subway train station, or in the subway, uh, the subway car. But the reason why I remember him in all of his movies... It's because he gave it his all. He gave the character his all. You know, he created a character. That doesn't matter how big the character is. If you put your all all the effort you can into the role, into the role, it will show. And both of these guys definitely did that. And Taylor Negron has been in a whole slew of movies. You can also see this with uh, Jeffrey Tambor as well, with a lot of his early work. And it's funny seeing him now. He's more popular now than he really ever was. Uh, because 
you know, it doesn't didn't matter if they had a big part or not. If it was just a little speaking role, you can always count on it being good. So that was him in Better Off Dead in 1985. In 1988, he was in this movie that really wasn't received all that well with Tom Hanks and Sally Field called Punchline. And it was, again, it was, I mean, it's one of those movies that came and went. It was directed by David Seltzer, and it was about a talented young comic, a comedian, who goes and helps this woman, Sally Field, who is wanting to become an up-and-coming stand-up comedian herself. Well, during one of the uh, comedy shows, Taylor Negron appears, and he goes up and he does a performance. You know what I like to do sometimes? I like to piss off Iranians. I like to piss off Middle Eastern people. It's called punk terrorism. And what I do, right, is I go downtown to carpet stores, and I walk into the place and I say, Hi, I want carpet, but I don't have the square footage. And the Iranian guy will say, You don't want carpet. You want an arag. And I say, no, I don't want an arag. These people are like newly born bald eagles. You know, it's like He definitely seemed like a comedian, and it really worked out. The third movie he was in that I enjoyed was a bigger part. Uh, he actually played a the main villain of this film. It was 1991's The Last Boy Scout. Yes, the movie with Damon Wayans, Bruce Willis, and it was directed by the late Tony Scott. And... His character was good. It was your classic 90s villain, early 90s villain done right. And, you know, I guess this was one of the movies he was most known for. And there was there's a good reason for that. I mean, he does have some good villainous lines. For example, what would you do, Joseph, if someone told you to go fuck yourself? And then later on, he says something along the lines of, you think you're so fucking cool, don't you? It's just how he does it. It's really good and menacing, and it's, you know, it's just fun to watch, especially Bruce Willis, a younger Bruce Willis, playing, you know, the, the younger badass, more badass Bruce Willis, you know, his reactions and his comeback lines, and, you know, it's just entertaining to watch. And I gotta say, it's, it's pretty sad that we lost him just recently. Taylor Negron. My three films, Better Off Dead from 1985, Punchline from 1988, and then finally, The Last Boy Scout from 1991. Well, right on. All right, well, that is a very interesting three squared there and was very fun to do. Next week, our bonus segment is going to be I'm the Only One That Hated It. Yes, and I'm sure you can probably guess what I'm probably going to pick. If you listen to the show carefully. And that's going to conclude that all together. I'm sorry? Avatar? No. Oh. Might have been related to a movie news piece, but not Avatar. Bum, bum, bum. Hmm. And not Deadpool. Bum, bum, bum. Anywho, that leaves us with... The movie. Yes, and this week's movies are 
Black Hat, American Sniper, and Wild. And I don't know why, but it always sounds like you're saying Black Cat instead of Black Hat. I don't know. It just, yeah, it's weird. Um, and that's probably why this movie hasn't done very well. And the only reason. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, where do you want to start, sir? Let's get Black Hat out of the way. Please. Oh, right. <laughs> Perhaps maybe they had a black cat cross in front of them while filming, and that's why... Was... I think they had multiple black cats cross in front of them while filming. <laughs> I mean, black cats were shitting on the film reels. Or something. Um, uh, you know, who knows? It might have been shot digitally. Anyway. Um, all right, so this is the 2015 action thriller mystery film. Well, that's kind of the genre style. It's not really any of those things. Um... It was directed by Michael Mann, stars Chris Hemsworth, and pretty much no one else you've ever heard of. Uh, follows the exploits of a hacker who is trying to destroy the world, and only the man in jail, Chris Hemsworth's character, can be released in order to fix it. Now that's what the trailer would have you believe. In actuality, this is nothing more than... Um, uh, a technological heist. Um, do you remember the net? Oh my God! Do you remember the Sandra Bullock movie, The Net? It's it would it's like this, but worse. Um, <laughs> Wait, the net was worse? Least, no, no, like like this was like the net, except it's worse. Oh, okay. Because at least the net tried, and the net had the fact that um, technology. It was kind of like the idea of what technology could do at that point, and not really where it was at that time so you know you could kind of see how that would work and it was kind of like ooh this is how you could use the internet in a bad way at a time when the internet was still new to most people here you had a trailer that leads you to believe that this is like a very prescient thriller based on the idea of how truly connected we are to globally to the internet and how hacking could truly destroy not just the lives or uh, the lives of people in other places but the entire world and it's just a fucking heist it's just a simple caper um and at that it's executed poorly and you it's kind of like when they did The Rock. Do you remember The Rock and how fun that movie was? It's kind of like The Rock except it sucks um, it, it, they should call it the net rock or the rock net. There you go. Rock.net.sucks. Dot, don't see it. Um, I don't know where else to. It's not that, like, the acting is just patently terrible. Um, it's just that everything was done in such just a piss-poor kind of way. And you really feel cheated by the trailer. And it's and it really is like a bait-and-switch. If they had just been honest with this movie and upfront, I think more people would have at least responded a, a, little bit, a little bit better to it than what they have. The movie itself, in terms of its technical direction, in terms of the acting, is is really okay. But the fact that you're being robbed to death um, is 
unforgivable. And I told Tim, because when we were talking about it before, that the movie in and of itself really is okay. It's two and a half stars. But you know what? Because of the bait and switch, I'm pulling another half star. Two stars. I don't like it. I don't hate it, but I don't like it. Go see the net. Go see The Rock, and then pretend that Chris Hemsworth is one of the... It's, go pretend that Chris Hemsworth is Sandra Bullock. Which is would be a lot easier to believe when you have his really shitty Sylvester Stallone accent to compete with. True. You're bashed. Really, he does. He does. He sounds like... doing their bashed. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Well, that was Sean Connery. Yes. But that's at least, you know, that's me, a terrible accent of Sean Connery. Oh. That's, you know, kind of like an amalgamation. See? It was like that, but worse. <laughs> anyway. And what was with his Sly Stallone knockoff voice? Yeah. Yo. Maybe he lost a bet? I don't know. Yo, um, I'll, I'll fix the net. I'll find the black hat. <laughs> I like how the movie's called Black Hat, and for one scene, he wore a black hat. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, Tim. What do you think, sir? I'm giving it two. Where do you lay it? Well... Viola Davis was in the movie. All right. <laughs> that's that's kind of where... Um, I guess this could be a backhanded compliment. I wrote here, How accurate are the opening graphics that take place within the computer system? Is that like an accurate portrayal of how like the system flow, how currents, how electronic currents go from point A to point B within a computer system? Or within the a network? I don't know. I want to know. If you listen to the show, let me know. Because, I i mean, if so, then that would be one really cool thing about the movie. That would be one really cool thing about the movie. One. One. Uh, but besides that, um, this was definitely the most disappointing film of 2015 so far. I was wanting a movie like Michael Mann's other films... One of his last movies he did, well, not, he did Public Enemies, that was pretty good, but Miami Vice, not a great movie, but there were definitely some redeeming qualities to the movie. Not the boobs, but it had his visual flair for action, it had his, or his visual style of action, it had the look, it had the humor, it had too much story, too much plot that he was going for. Well, this is what I kind of felt like with uh, with with Black Hat. I really wanted more of Heat. I really wanted more of Collateral, where you had the storyline, but you didn't have to go to 500,000 freaking locations to, uh, to, to have the movie, to have the story continue on. You know, it just didn't make sense. And the entire movie is relying on its main character, Chris Hemsworth, who is not an American. And yet... He has a horrible American, I think a New York East Coast accent. He sounds like, okay, he goes from sounding Australian, which I think he's Australian, I might be wrong about that, but I think he's Australian, to sounding like Sylvester Stallone to going and sounding like somebody from the Midwest. It doesn't make sense. In the entire time, he doesn't look or sound or seem like a, uh, a, a computer hacker. I mean... The movie, to me, felt like it couldn't figure out if it was going to be a hunky action movie or a, a a computer network, I don't know, internet thriller. I, I don't... I, it didn't make any sense to me. 
there were a lot of there was a lot of negativity to the to this uh, uh, that I had towards this movie. Uh, I mean, I will say that on the plus side, I really wanted this movie to end ten minutes into it, and I gotta say it went by pretty quick. And the movie does get better as it goes on, but when you have an action scene, there's a couple pretty good action scenes, but then there's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of crap that didn't need to happen. It felt like it happened for the sake of, oh, well, we gotta add a little bit of action to the movie, and it's like, oh, it was stupid, you know? This movie falls into a lot of tropes, a lot of character pitfalls. Everything from the love interest to the people who die in the movie, how the, all those uh, the the people's deaths are shot, and where they take place in the movie. Oh, it just it happens. Wow, we need to add a level of drama to this movie, and that's what it felt like they were doing. Everything from the music, everything for all the complications, everything that's complicated in the movie, while well, supposed to add to the personal side of Chris Hemsworth. His, uh, his character, you know, to, so at the end of the movie, you know, it's like, oh my god, he made it. Oh man, I was hoping, oh, it was so intense. No, the movie was not intense. It was not intense. Because, despite all the crap that was going on, what, to me, what really, I don't know, pushed me over the edge was the ending. It takes place over in Asia, and he's going to find okay it's the the ending and a lot okay i'm not going to want to spoil it but a lot of stabbings and 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 guns being wielded about in a crowd of people that are slow hundreds of people are slowly walking around you know the, these activities that are going on these very lethal activities that are going on but nobody stops nor screams nor acknowledges that this is going on they're just walking. Why are they doing it? Because it is obvious that Michael Mann thought it looked good. You know, it added, uh, a, a, it was a cool shot to have. And to me, that was annoying. To me, that that is poor filmmaking because everything has to line up. Everything has to make sense. Nothing can, get, can pull your attention like something that is forced. And unfortunately, what I do like of Michael Mann's work just pretty much went down the shitter completely. I love Heat. I love Collateral. Manhunter is a really good movie. He's done some really good stuff. Uh, I just really hope that this is his ground ground level of filmmaking right here. Because I think, I'm confident in saying that this is one of, one of his worst films to date, for sure. So, uh, believe it or not, I actually give this one two as well. I didn't like it. There are some good things about it. Like Viola Davis, I guess. And the graphics <laughs> so two stars for me very good sir uh where would you like to go now how about american sniper all right american sniper 2014 american biographical war drama films directed by clint eastwood stars shit i can read bradley cooper and Miller. <laughs> oh my god okay now this is following uh the it's based on Chris Kyle's autobiography, uh, American Sniper, the autobiography of the most lethal sniper in U.S. military history. Now, there are a lot of Chris Kyle detractors out there, and for what it's worth, you may or may not have a point. And for argument's sake, we're just going to set all that aside, and for, me, for my part, set all that aside, and deal with the movie in and of itself. Now... In the process of telling his story, gives you 
both a clear, in my opinion, a clear and accurate picture of just exactly what combat can really be like and really try. And, and it's really something that very few movies have done well. Whether or not they all strive to is beside the point, but just in terms of pure success on the terror of the battlefield, think Saving Private Ryan as probably a cornerstone of that. This movie definitely does that in spades. And one, there's one, there's a trailer out there, I'm sure you've seen, where he's trying to decide whether or not he has to uh, deal with a woman and a child carrying a grenade towards a U.S. convoy. And there are many moments in this film that definitely bring that level of just holy shit, you, you know, what's going to happen to the thing. And it also, I think, does a very good job of pointing out the realities of combat and to some to, to a lesser degree of success post-traumatic stress um, and even when it's not necessarily about post-traumatic stress but just having to deal with those things and then translate that to family life when you come back um, I think it I think it hits those notes pretty darn well too Um, the one thing that, whether or not it's, however factually based it is or not, the one thing that I kind of thought the movie really dragged, and this for me really, really hurts the movie, is a soldier, a soldier's self-sacrifice and a soldier's survival, survival guilt, um, is clearly individual and unique to every soldier and not having been one i will not even remotely attempt to judge that in any way shape or form especially for those who are truly veterans and definitely deserve in my opinion just huge respect but the way the film conveys that to me conveyed that to me when he says things like he's haunted by all the guys he couldn't save and those are the demons, you know, that he's having to deal with and everything. And for me, I really felt like it was just too much falling on the sword. And instead of it being poignant and touching, it was, I felt almost like I was being beaten over the head with it. Like I'm being browbeaten with that. And that doesn't make me feel for you. That makes me irritated with you and again not under not being in that uh from an outside looking in makes it easier i think and right or wrong it makes it easier to maybe incorrectly judge that and i think that that could have been better handled so that that would limit that effect outside of that i thought the cinematography was good i really think this is um one of eastwood's best efforts um since Gran Turismo, probably, and did Gran Tur- Gran Turismo, Gran Torino, is it Gran Torino? Yes, Gran Torino. Well, Gran Torino. Sorry, Gran Turismo would be yeah, a, that's video, a game. video game. Oh my god, yeah, a, a race car video game. At least I didn't say Grand Theft Auto because that would have been terrible. <laughs> but no, Grand, yeah, Grand Theft Auto. Sorry. Yeah, definitely uh, best effort since Gran Torino, and. Um, so, uh, and I, I cannot take away anything from 
from that. But due to the, like I said, just the constant falling on the sword nature, um, that for me began to grate on it by the end of the by the end of the film. Um, I'm giving this one four stars. Still a really good movie. Definitely recommend it. Um, but yeah, four stars. So go ahead, Tim. What do you got? Well, first of all, I don't think Eastwood directed Gran Torino. I think it was somebody else. So I think I'll have to say that this was his best movie since Letters of Iwo Jima. And those movies were not just really good movies and well-made, but they're really entertaining movies. And that's there's been kind of a lull for the past almost ten years. I mean, it's been seven, eight years now since those movies came out that he hasn't really had a really good movie. He had J. Edgar, which was alright, but long and boring. He had, I think it was called Hereafter, long and boring. He had a couple others that were just long and not that great. And so it's good that this one came out, and honestly, based on the trailers, I thought we were going to get another one of those Lifetime movies where it was just going to be, you know, making the movie for the sake of the subject matter. And no, you got a, a really good movie, a really entertaining movie, a movie that wasn't just about the drama, but it was telling a very interesting story about a very interesting human being. And again, this is all politics aside, uh, and just based on the movie itself. And I thought the movie was 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 pretty good. You know, it's a four-star movie for me. Uh, however, there are some major pitfalls. And But despite these pitfalls I am about to mention, um, the movie as a whole is rather entertaining. Um, I just thought that this very personal story felt rather impersonal by way it was shot. And I mean that because there are not a lot of... There are hardly any close-up shots. There's a lot of full-body shots. There's a lot of mid-shots. But nothing close-up. So when something important happens, well, you're just stuck with a long shot. And... That's about it. And so the movie, to me, that kind of detracts from the personal aspect of it you know it's a personal movie this is something so sad that happened you know you gotta feel it you gotta experience every emotion you know because you you especially with the politics of the movie and you know everything that people are saying about uh the the guy himself you you know it is up to the director to make the audience feel for him because this movie is very pro american sniper and that i didn't i didn't feel that at all um and it's also very. It was also difficult to tell what kind of story Eastwood was actually trying to make. Uh, I, you're left not sure how to feel about it. For example, the demons and all the heartache he's gone through with you know the mental heartache and mental or mental anguish. You know they mention his demons and the heartache, but you really don't see him experiencing that heartache or those demons. You know, it's just always kind of mentioned, and you see him having these outbreaks. But then as well, it's back to him shooting people. It's back to him, you know, uh, uh, hanging out with his buddies, his war buddies and the camaraderie. There's a lot of great post-war stuff when he comes back from the tours and he meets the vet. That's All that stuff is great, but it's the nitty-gritty. It's what, you know, what made him him, or what made him the legend, you know, among his war peers. You know, so you don't really see a lot of that stuff. So again, you're not le- you're left with n- not sure what to think. But again, this was a very entertaining movie, and it was rather engaging and intense, despite of all the all the negativity 
I guess. So four stars on my end. Right on. And as an official note, Gran Torino was directed by Clint Eastwood. Checked it out. Made sure. Oh, well. <clears throat> 2008. Directed by. Anyway, just want to make sure. Hey, you know, we, we weren't sure, so we were checking. <laughs> All right. So finally, we have Wild. Now, this is the film that is based on uh, Cheryl Strayed and her journey uh, from her memoir, Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail. And she hiked over a thousand miles from California all the way up to the Washington state border. And this was kind of a journey of self-discovery and a um, healing process due to the death of her mother that kind of sent her spiraling out of control, cost her first marriage, heroin addiction, all that kind of stuff. Um, now, I liked this movie. I'm not I'm not trying to say that I don't like this movie. And there is definitely good acting um, to be had. The characters are all good. But there's another movie. It's called Into the Wild. And this th that's the one uh, starring Emil Hirsch, I believe. And he goes off in, and basically he's kind of a wealthy kid who just throws it all away and hikes off into the wilderness and you know to, to, to go and be and everything now these movies are strikingly similar in tone they tell completely different stories but they are still strikingly similar similar in tone and strikingly similar in their execution what I think for me makes into the wild better than wild is that where it uses the soundtrack it uses the score and it uses the cinematography to augment an amazing story true story again based on a true story just like wild based on a true story it uses those things to augment a very good story i feel that in wild it is used these things are used as more of a crutch not quite as a copycat but as a crutch to what is a very cool story uh one of the things that the book is highly praised for is that it doesn't sacrifice the story being told in retrospect for the story being told now which is her examining her life that led up to her taking this trek in the book it's very even not neither one is being sacrificed for the other here i think it's too heavy-handed on the trail side again using the score using that cinematography uh as a crutch to make it more beautiful than it than it already is it it I don't think it needed that help. I think it could have been done in a uh, in a different way to simply let the wild be wild and compare it to her wild life and the resolutions that it takes. Um, now the endings, again, because they're different stories, the endings to Into the Wild and Wild are very are wildly different, but. Um, I just 
think that due to that crutch, I think it took what could have been probably a four and a half star, maybe even a five star movie, and um, it hurt it for me badly. So three and a quarter stars. I like this movie. All all of the weight of this movie is in the writing. It's in the characters. And it's in the delivery that the director had when establishing these characters as opposed to the book. So three and a quarter stars. I do like this movie, but I just feel like there's a crutch with all of the other stuff that's going on. Cool. So, okay. Uh, wild. It's good to see Reese Witherspoon playing a, a character like this because she is a great actress. I mean, she won the Academy Award in Walk the Line. So, Wild is a movie about self-discovery and the journey that uh, Reese Witherspoon's character takes to find that solace inside of her because she has experienced a lot. She goes from this this pritzy, by-the-book schoolgirl to, you know, you, you see her mother die in front of her, you know, this very happy-go-lucky woman who is wonderfully, wonderfully played by Laura Dern, which I mentioned earlier on in the show, uh, and, you know, never a sad face on her. She is the ultimate mother. She has had a horrible life, but you know what? Nothing will bring her down. She will always be happy. And that death transforms Reese Witherspoon's character into an addict, a sex addict, a drug addict, you know, not sure what her place is in life, where before her mom passed away, when she was taking everything for granted, you know, everything was by the book. Everything, she criticized everyone that, you know, that, that wasn't on the same path as she was, you know, that didn't have the same mindset. But bam, death, and she went downhill from there. So she uses this hike, the Pacific Trail, from pretty much the Mexican border up to Canada to find the meaning of her life, you know, the meaning of her existence, to find that next step that she has to take to recover from all this, all the, all the horrible stuff that has happened to her, or that she let happen to her, really. And so, yeah, that's pretty much what the movie is about. And they go about doing all of this, showing all of this stuff by way of flashbacks and fantastic performances. And I gotta say, there are a lot of movies that use flashbacks to move the story along, to add character depth, to add plot depth, to add meaning to what is being said, or to add meaning to a character's motivation. And a lot of flashbacks don't really work out as intended, but Wilde does it wonderfully. And I owe that to the director, Jean-Marc Vallée, who actually last year was nominated for Best Director for Dallas Buyers Club. He is a wonderful director. He is going to be a name that I will look forward to seeing uh, attached to films in the future. Because he has a wonderful way of bringing real life to the screen. Of interpreting real life to the screen. Real life, real emotions, real thoughts, real thought processes. And uh, what it means to, to be in pain. To experience love, to lose love, to need love, to want love, to want acceptance, to losing acceptance, to losing hope, and trying desperately to find hope, which is what uh, Reese Witherspoon's character is doing. You know, she's uh, being thrown all these obstacles, 
But what I really liked about the movie is that the movie doesn't focus on the natural obstacles that she faces while she's on the trail. It's kind of like the base, like whenever she faces an obstacle, it, well, that's kind of the start of a new story. It triggers a thought, it triggers, you know, something that ha- it triggers a flashback to go back to the past and slowly as the movie goes along, things start piecing together and it's quite beautiful to watch and and experience. You know, if you look hard, I think I could find things to pick apart about this movie, but I really don't have the means to. I love this movie. So, five stars for me. I thought it was well done. Everything about it was top-notch. It's really difficult for me to find something I didn't like. I mean, if I had to find something I didn't like, it would be the, the ending. And to me, it wasn't enough to really take anything from it. So, five stars for me. Right on. Okay, well then the movies for next week are going to be Mordecai, Still Alice... Mr. Turner and Two Days, One Night. Yeah, we're doing a four top next week because, you know, making sure we get all the Oscars stuff covered there. Um, and I guess that does bring us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on. Alrighty, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and... Facebook.com, both, slash Cries of Solace. We, of course, are still the SLS Cast, and you can find us at slscast.com. You can send an email to the show at slscast.com. You can even follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can also follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nittwit12345. You can thumb a... Put your thumb out there on this information superhighway and see if you can get a hold of Tim on Twitter. And, of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So, until next week, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, courtesy of Martin Luther King Jr., because without him, I wouldn't be able to say this. Change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle, and so we must straighten our backs and work for our freedom. A man can't ride you unless your back is bent. That could be taken out of context quite easily. Take care, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.